0: Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we get to study together Isaiah chapter 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I have now declared. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to Yahweh a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to Yahweh and declare his praise in the coastlands. Yahweh goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war he stirs up his zeal. He cries out, he shouts aloud, he shows himself mighty against his foes. For a long time I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands and dry up the pools, and I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame, who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, You are our gods. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of Yahweh? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Yahweh was pleased for his righteousness' sake to magnify his law and make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say, restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Will attend? and listen for the time to come. Who gave up Jacob to the looter, and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not Yahweh, against whom we have sinned, and whose ways we would they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of battle. It set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. This is the word of the Lord. Over the last couple of decades, the last few generations in the church, we've come up with, maybe that's not even the right way to say it, but we've come up with this new name that we call Jesus. We call him Israel reduced to one. I don't actually know the full history to know when that title was first declared of Jesus, but it is a good title. It's a helpful way to think of it. Jesus is... We talk about him as our substitute sometimes, and that language fits this conversation as well. Jesus did everything Israel was supposed to do. Jesus lived the life of perfection that was demanded and expected of us that we had failed to live. Jesus did it all, that he might take our place on the cross, that he might take our sins upon himself. He lived that life for us. Born, circumcised, baptized, obeying the law, going to the temple. I mean, we could, we could list many things that Jesus does that connect in parallel to various events in the history of God's Old Testament people. He is Israel reduced to one. The whole nation of Israel, all of God's people reduced into just this one man. He is God's representative here on the earth. His perfect one. As the New Testament church, we then rejoice because it's almost like a, an hourglass. As you think of the sand funneling through that one central point, just one little bit gets through to time. But then it comes out the other end and it expands again. You could also look at it like a bow tie. Big on, on the one side, funnels into the little ball in the middle, and then comes out again on the other side. So you have the Old Testament church, the people of Israel. You have Jesus. And then you have the New Testament church, the Christians, like you and me. And this is this wonderful picture. And it's going to be the picture that we see throughout this chapter. And it's a picture that we see really with what's called the servant songs in the book of Isaiah. This is the first of four. This servant is a reference to God's people, to Israel. And yet... At some points, that's going to be the nation of Israel, and at other points, it's going to be this Israel reduced to one, Jesus, the Messiah. And we see both of those right here in chapter 42. So we're going to be looking at that. Now you've got four different servant songs that show up. Chapter 42 here, verses 1 through 6. You have it again, chapter 49. I believe it was verses 1 through 4 there. It's in chapter 51. And then chapter 52, 53. So we're going to be seeing those servant songs over these next two weeks together. These are very specific prophecies that teach us about Jesus, about the Messiah who would come and save his people. In the end of this chapter, we're going to see God refer to his servant, and there it's instead going to be a clear reference, not to Jesus, but instead Israel, the people who were were supposed to be faithful, but failed to do so. So we're gonna see both. Um, And you continue to see both, reference with the servant in the chapters to come as well. All right, so we're gonna look at the text. And again, this begins right at the beginning. This, This servant song is right at the top of the chapter. Behold my servant whom I uphold. So God is pointing us, Yahweh is pointing us to look at Jesus. In whom my soul delights. You might remember that phrase that God speaks both at Jesus' baptism and at the transfiguration. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. His spirit is upon him. We think of Jesus' baptism, the spirit descending like a dove upon him. That he would bring forth justice to the nations. Well, how did Jesus accomplish justice for the nations? With his death on the cross as he forgives our sins, gives us the justice we did not deserve. Verse 3, you get the idea that he would not break the bruised reed or quench or or snuff, the burning wick. This is a reference to him caring for all people, um, even the weak, even the lowly. And we know from Jesus' New Testament ministry, especially the weak and lowly that he cared for, because they were the ones who received his teaching, Many of those who thought they were strong on their own right rejected Jesus, and so you get his conversation about it is not the, the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. None of us are actually healthy, but when you think you're healthy, you avoid your doctor. Even you could be dying inside, in fact, we're all dying inside, that's what sin does. But if, if you don't know it, you don't seek help. You won't accept help. You'll push help away. However you want to phrase these things. All right. Verse 4. Again, the cross is in mind. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice. At which point Jesus breathes his last, gives up his spirit on the cross. Thus says God, Yahweh. Verse 5. To his people. The reference isn't there, but that's that's what it's saying. This is God now speaking to the people, and he's going to show his authority to do what he does. So as he speaks to them, he tells them why they should hear him, because he has made the heavens. He has made the earth. He gives the breath of life to people. And now verse 6, even though it's still spoken to the people, he now speaks of Jesus. He has called Jesus. He is with him. He will give Jesus as a covenant for the people. That will bring your mind, hopefully, to the Lord's Supper. To that event of Maundy Thursday, the last supper, the disciples eat with Jesus, and he says, take and drink. This is the blood, my blood, of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then you get the phrase that he is the light for the nations. Jesus is the light of the world. We know that reference from our New Testament as well. To open the eyes of the blind, all you have to do is look at the table of contents for one of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and you'll see several examples of Jesus healing the blind. He's going to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon in darkness. Jesus will rescue us from the clutches of the devil. Verses 8 and 9, God is not going to share his glory with another. He is God alone, and that is not going to be shared with our idols. Verse 9, specifically, gets into this idea of prophecy. Other prophecies have, have come and gone. They've been spoken. They've been fulfilled. Now God is going to speak a new prophecy, and he is indeed already here in chapter 42. He speaks this new prophecy, and he's going to tell them about it. That's the prophecy part, that he speaks his word to his people. And then because of that, verse 10, we sing a new song. This is often abused in the church today to say, we need new music. That's neither here nor there. The Bible doesn't speak to whether we need new music. This new song is connected to the new covenant, to the new thing that God is declaring. We need a new song that rejoices in who God is and what God has done. So, yeah, I mean, if we want to apply this verse appropriately to today, if God has done a new thing for us now, Yeah, let's write a song about it. Let's write a song that tells the next generation why we know that God is is for us, why we know that he loves us. So new music is not necessarily bad or wrong, but this verse just doesn't connect to it the way that you'll typically hear this verse get used uh, within our context. God has done a new thing. He has declared a new thing. By delivering us from our sin and from death through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what our new songs are about. And we've been doing that for 2,000 years. Got lots of good ones, thankfully. Verse 11. Why are the cities and the deserts lifting up the voice? Because they've been redeemed. Qadar and Salah, which we've seen, these are locations of Arabia. Qadar we saw in chapter 21, we saw Salah in chapter 16. So these are places off into the distant east, Arabia, again, uh, way out, away from God's people. This is, again, that glimpse, and we've seen it a few times already in in the book of Isaiah. That the gospel message is going to be for all peoples. The work of this Israel reduced to one will be for all peoples. Jesus' salvation on the cross is for all. Let them shout, let them give, let them declare. God is welcoming them in to be a part of what God's people do. Now, verse 13 mentions that God is mighty against his foes. This could be a good question to talk about with your children. Who are God's foes? Who are his enemies? You can certainly name sin, death, and the devil. Those are the big three that we talk about as the church so often. We can also talk about Sinners, per se, the the wicked nations that we're looking at in this context, like Assyria and Babylon and and so forth. Um, But primarily it's sin, death, and the devil that we want to look at as we have a conversation like that. Verse 14, God has been patient for a long time. uh, And in that patience, he has allowed sinners to boast. He has allowed them to idolize instead of worshiping him. This is then contrasted in the the second part of the verse as he cries out with intensity, with pain, gasping and panting. And that will hopefully bring your mind to the cross again of Christ, um, that Jesus cried out, that he breathed his last, exhausted again. We saw that verse 4 he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth so these references to the messiah and what he would do for us coming up again and again verse 15 and 16 god is going to remove obstacles in order to lead the blind just as we see john the baptist the rough places under level ground also in verse 16 here we see john the baptist removing obstacles that people might see jesus now jesus As God is removing obstacles in order to do what? Where is Jesus leading the blind? He's leading them to himself. He's leading them to paradise, to salvation. He's leading them to that life that never ends and the new creation that will be made for them. I do not forsake them. The promise of of the Lord given to you. He will not forsake you. Verse 17, In contrast, gives you then the ones that won't be saved, the ones who are truly blind, because they do not see, they do not believe. Verse 18, the rest of the chapter, takes that word servant and turns it around. So this is now referring to Israel. They are deaf, they are blind. This is a call to repent, a call to hear, a call to see, a call to faith. Who is blind but my servant? This is not saying Jesus is blind. This is the, the the faithless Israel, not the faithful Israel, reduced to one that we have in Christ. So we see a lot of things that show the lack of faith here that they are blind, um, even though they were the dedicated one. They were the servant. They did not observe God's words. They did not hear God's words. They don't have faith, and so God, verse twenty one, was pleased. To magnify his law. Why? Ask your children in this one, too. What does the law do? Why is God pleased to magnify it? That is, to make it bigger, to focus on it, to lift up his law before the people. Why? One of the things we talk about with the law is that one of the three purposes of the law is that it kills. Or, as the catechism phrases it, it shows us our sins. It's a mirror in that sense. And so that's a that's the picture here. God is pleased for His righteousness' sake. We're talking about salvation and glory, and glory is pointing to God, to magnify His law because it brings people to repent, to show them their sin, to lay their sin before them, and then to show them their Savior Jesus that He, he will rescue them. That all fits together there. Verse twenty-two: This people is plundered and looted, so we have exile uh, to. To Babylon, you have the pictures of sin and death as well in that. Uh, they have been plundered, none to rescue. Who will rescue them? Only God can do that. And God has. Again, on the cross, in Jesus, God has rescued us. Verse 24, who gave up Jacob? Who Was it not the Lord? Was it not Yahweh? Our sin brings upon us God's judgment. And that's what the chapter actually ends with. Verse 25, because of our sin, God poured out the heat of his anger. They might have battled it, burned them up, but they did not take it to heart. In other words, as God brought the judgment upon God's people, first Israel, then the nation of Judah, and they were suffering that judgment. They were suffering the destruction at the hands of the enemy. They still looked to themselves. They still looked to their idols rather than trusting in God. They did not repent. And because they did not repent, they perished. Now, we can compare that. Let's flip verse 25 around then, that first sentence. He poured on him the heat of his anger. Capitalize all the the pronouns in that sentence. He, God, the Father, poured on him, God, the Son, the heat of his anger. God the Father's anger, that the anger of God for our sin that was meant for us because of our sin ends up falling where? It ends up falling upon Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. He has done this. He has done it for you. Hallelujah.